Let me show you something. Last month, the president of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, unveiled Blue Moon, a robot designed to deliver cargo to the moon. This is Blue Moon. With a launch date set for 2024, Blue Moon is the latest technology to come from the tech giant's own company, Blue Origin, a privately funded manufacturer of space technologies. We've been working on this lander for three years. It'll soft land in precise way, 3.6 metric tons onto the lunar surface. Bezos and his company's aspirations are very clear. They want to send us to space. It's time to go back to the moon, this time to stay. Jeff isn't the only multi-billionaire frothing over space tech. Elon Musk from Tesla is pushing SpaceX forward at a rapid pace, his own manufacturing company that's developing rockets and spacecraft. But it's not just the tech bigwigs. The Trump administration have also made it very clear that space travel is a national priority. Vice President Pence just recently said, it's the stated policy of this administration and the United States of America to return American astronauts to the moon within the next five years. But while these space entrepreneurs are getting all hyped up, Damian Williams from the Department of Science, Tech and Society at Virginia Tech points out a fundamental flaw in these aspirations. They're seemingly a common thread across many of those bigger players here that they're figureheaded by white men. What do you think that says about our space aspirations? It says that ultimately the same problems that we see here on Earth by white men, we're just going to reproduce those same problems in space. So often, space is sold as our salvation. The Earth is finite in its natural resources. So to ensure our survival, we have to look up. We must have a future for our grandchildren and their grandchildren. But Damien says this is a dangerous idea, as it parallels some of our darkest histories, where a quest for resources quickly becomes a conquest. It becomes about dominance and it becomes about supremacy rather than about this idea of cooperation or this idea of to coexist with the rest of the universe. It becomes about expanding a frontier. Today on the show, with white male billionaires dictating our space conversations, is space travel our next colonial crisis? This is Think Digital Futures. I'm Jake Morecambe. To see space exploration as colonial, Damien says should be pretty clear based on the language we use alone. If we're looking at the terms such as establishing colonies or colonising in space, the use of that word on, on planet Earth is intrinsically linked into the idea of stealing and occupying land. What do you make of that? We have to think about the language that we use. It frames the possibilities for how we can think and what we are most likely to think about. And it's hard to think about things in a a non-exploitative, 
non-oppressive way when you are using a language that is inherently about exploitation and oppression. Damien believes exploitation is ultimately what space travel is all about. At present, I think that resource extraction is pretty high on even the, the stated aims. People who say, you know, if we go out into space, we can mine asteroids and all those rare earth metals that we're running out of. We can get to a lot easier on a lot of these asteroids out in the asteroid belt. The mineral surface of the moon actually has a number of things that we could make pretty good use of. If only we had a way to get up there more readily and more reliably and transport it back more easily. But some realize exploitation doesn't bode well with the public. So they're framing it differently. Well, actually, I looked at the uh, Elon Musk's SpaceX website, and they actually, in their little blurb thing, said that their goal is to enable people to live on another planet, which I thought was interesting. They didn't use the word colonisation. This is Amy Thomas from the University of Technology, Sydney. Amy's research background is in linguistics and Australian colonialism. Do you think they're trying to water down exactly what they plan to do through the use of this like purposeful language of enable rather than colonize it's possible and you know doing like looking at some of this stuff made me realize just how much of an issue this is like and how much in the next couple of decades this is going to become a huge political debate so i can't imagine that there won't be a lot of discussion about how we understand it how we frame it what is done that being said Amy argues the use of words like colonies and colonising is the right language to use. Yeah, I would describe it like that, that what they're trying to do is is colonise space. It reflects the process of colonisation that happened across planet Earth. If you look at documents of the British Empire or even like Henry Parks, the Australian father of Federation and the way they used to talk about their manifest destiny and the goals of colonisation... So we talked about the idea of, it, you know, it's Australia's destiny to control the southern seas and the Pacific Ocean um, and that our destiny will come. You just kind of see that a lot in, you know, Cecil Rhodes and, and people like that who were kind of strong advocates of colonisation, kind of seeing themselves as having a right and a power on a, a noble quest that is their destiny as these kind of superior beings on Earth or elsewhere. It really romanticizes it almost. Oh, yeah. So we can kind of put the, the centuries of dispossession and massacres and environmental destruction in order to accept that. We kind of have to think that there's something superior about a particular form of civilization, in this case, Western civilization and what it has to offer, and therefore think that there's something superior about the people who are doing it based on something like the color of their skin. And I think I see that attitude mirrored in the kind of modern Cecil Rhodes and Henry Parks people like Jeff Bezos and Richard Branson and Elon Musk. How much of it do you also think is about this idea of spreading nationalistic control or the the fight to be the first to do this? <laughs> I mean, that's honestly, uh, again, that's always been part of it. I think that's always been like the idea of, did you have a flag? You put your flag on it and then it's yours, right? I mean, that was one of the first things that we did when we actually landed on the moon was we planted a flag on it. (laughs) We said we did this first. This is ours now. 
Damien believes this space race mentality is dangerous. If we go into it thinking about colonization, then we go into it thinking about settlements, and we go into it thinking about borders, and we go into it thinking about resource use and land rights, and we go into it thinking about who gets what, who deserves what. And who space is actually for. Here we have billionaires with billions of dollars to throw at rockets and whatever else it is they're making. And yet we can't transition to solar power. You know, we can't think about how to create a society based on more reuse and less waste. Where are the billions and billions of dollars going into that? It says something about the whole project, who it's for and who it's seeking to protect and prolong the life of, you know, and it's, yeah, it's not all of us. As our space aspirations draw closer to becoming reality, who will go into space becomes an important question. Last year, Damien attended Decolonize Mars, an event that brought together people from backgrounds in science, technology, philosophy, journalism, and the arts to unpack how can we make space more than just a billionaire's pride project? People came together and kind of all just sat down and said, okay, so what does the future of space exploration, human space flight look like? What is it going to be like for humans to actually go out into space and take human societies with them? And is there any chance at all that we can do that in a way that doesn't reproduce the same kind of human sociological problems that we have here on Earth? Is there a way that we can do that without reproducing racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, ableism, a kind of decolonial mindset where we take all of those problematic frameworks and we completely break them down and try for something entirely different? What are your thoughts on whether or not we can go into space and not carry all this baggage with us? To be blunt, uh, I think those things are are a part of our society to such a high degree, especially Western society in a number of ways, that um, they're always going to be a part of the people who we are talking about sending to Mars, sending to to space, sending to mine asteroids, sending to re-explore the moon. Because when we have those conversations, you know, the people that are having those conversations tend to be envisioning people who are alive right now. But what I do think we'll be able to do is to train ourselves to think differently about the processes we undertake to get this work done. To have a fully realized vision for space, Damien explains we have to consider those who fall outside of the cultural imagining of the astronaut. When people have a vision of an astronaut, the majority of people have a particular kind of vision of what that looks like and what that is like. Your Neil Armstrong figure. Right. That's kind of been taken as a background assumption, right? Like this kind of emblematic hero of Western modernity is the astronaut, right? That has several, several problems to it. There are people alive today who live their daily lives in ways that might help us understand the harsh conditions of space. But as Damien says, they're the least likely to go. Disabled people who have to deal with 
the physical infrastructures of the built environment as impediments, the idea that this world, literally the architecture of it, is very often not built with them in mind. These are minds and bodies, several have called it uh, body minds, body minds who understand already what it's like to adapt to a hostile environment that is constantly changing and trying in many ways to harm them. And yet, disabled individuals are the least likely to be considered to go into space. Instead of asking a wheelchair user who is used to pushing off of non-standard surfaces, who's used to reorienting their body in a different relation than someone who is a bipedal mobility user, that person would have a better idea of how to move in zero gravity than somebody who has to retrain their entire body-mind relation to the world. And yet, ever seen or heard a lot about wheelchair users in space? No. Certain people with inner ear functional differences, certain deaf or hard of hearing individuals don't suffer from things like vertigo in the same way as hearing people do. There was a group of people back in the 60s called the Gallaudet 11. Uh, Gallaudet University is a deaf and hard of hearing university here in the United States. They're based in Washington, D.C. Eleven men from Gallaudet were brought in by NASA and the Naval Research Academy to basically undergo equivalent of zero G and weightlessness and put somebody in a gyroscope thing, you strap them in, you spin them around until they get dizzy or feel sick or whatever. And then they worked to replicate in technological form, in the form of how they would go about building the interior of space capsules and later space shuttles that made it possible for hearing astronauts to not experience as much of that vertiginous sensation. Millions of dollars were spent on these technological outputs when you could have just sent deaf and hard of hearing people to space. This narrow-minded view of who should go into space goes beyond disability. We don't have technologies to really account for what space will do to bodies with a higher percentage of estrogen. We don't really know how pregnancy works in space because... NASA and other space agencies have really strict rules about sex before missions and during missions. So we don't really have an understanding of what technologies will be necessary to give birth in space. And if we're talking about long-term space exploration as like a human achievement at some point in the future, that's something that we're going to really need to think about. How are people with uteruses going to give birth in space? Because a lot of birth as it currently happens, a lot of gestation as it currently happens, depends on gravity. We've, you know, studied mice that get pregnant in space, but that's, you know, I don't know if you know, but but mice aren't people. Not humans. <laughs> <laughs> I was <laughs> like, different. yeah, I'm sure it's probably a little bit different. <laughs> it's, it's, it's quite a bit different. We don't, yeah, so we don't know, right? Like we don't, we don't have an idea of what that's actually like. Or will be like. NASA's official party line is that nobody has sex in space. Uh, but, I mean, you put a bunch of people in a small box for a long period of time, pe- people are having sex. <laughs> we just don't know what happens there. Do you think it's possible to 
decolonise space exploration. Not without decolonising Earth. Not without changing the kind of social relationships here, first of all. I mean, because if you look at the space exploration that's happening now, it's already competitive. They talk about markets in space and how they're fighting for them. And then, you know, you have a series of companies racing to produce the things that they need to survive in space and things they need to get there. And then you see competition between nation states in the same way we kind of did during the Cold War, but now you've got more, like, individual rich people involved in the process as well. Unless we change that on planet Earth, we're going to reproduce that somewhere else. Think Digital Futures is made possible with the support of 2SER Radio, the University of Technology, Sydney, and is heard around Australia via the Community Radio Network. Think Digital Futures is made in Sydney, which sits on Gadigal land of the Eora Nation, whose sovereignty was never ceded. You can subscribe to Think Digital Futures wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jake Morecambe. Thanks for your company.